London Property, home of Super Prime, where you can find informative, educational and entertaining content covering all aspects of property. Hello and welcome to London Property, the home of Super Prime. I'm your host Farnas Fazaipo and today we're in conversation with Fiona Doherty, who, when you're not doing magic tricks, looking after 10,000 units. Correct. Yes. So welcome to the show. So Fiona, please, let's start by you telling our listeners the difference, the substantial difference between managing a building and managing individual units. Well, managing an individual unit, you're only required to maybe repair the washing machine or liaise with the block agent if there's a communal issue. On the communal building, we're responsible for everything, all health and safety. Obviously, it's becoming far more complicated now with the new bills that are coming through, including the fire safety on the back of Grenfell and everything that comes with that. So now an agent has become much more than just your traditional block agent but they have to be a jack of all trades and have understand everything from cladding to engineering for comfort cooling and communal heating systems so these are all falling under health and safety what so if you know how thick can you go with health and safety when it comes to a building health and safety is now the absolute your bible it's probably as important if not more important than lease now because you have to ensure that you're ticking those boxes because if you're not and God forbid anything goes wrong, you're the one that's going to be sitting in the dock for it. So just as a brief summary, Mm -hmm. give us some headlines of what kind of things you need to be looking at when it comes to health and safety for buildings. Obviously, you have to have a health and safety audit done each year, as well as a fire risk assessment, depending on the number of units. So if it's below 25 units, it's once every three years. If it's 25 to 50, it's once every two. And if it's over 50, it's once every year. However, if a block of nine has got a communal boiler and a swimming pool, that would fall into the category of having it done once a year. And then from that, you have your risks of what's been flagged up, be it signage, uh, be it that there's not a cosh cupboard for cleaners to put the chemicals in, um, fire stopping. Anything that comes up on that risk assessment is then graded and you have a certain amount of time in which to have those fixed. And you have to make sure that that's all dealt with within that time period. Because in the event something goes wrong, as I say, if it hasn't been dealt with and it's been flagged, we're responsible. So I'm imagining that that checklist just keeps growing. Correct. As regulations go, you just keep adding to that checklist. Yeah. And when you're making a plan for a building, Mm -hmm. then you go to your checklist of things to do and then you decide what times of year what things need to happen how does that process work it depends if you're planning if if you're just doing your routine budget then you include to have your health and safety audit and your fire risk assessment and what you already know is going to come up then on top of that you have what's called a capex plan so it's planning like cyclical major works and those now have to include your m and whereas in a traditional block, it would just be the fabric of the building. There would be very little m and other than the lift, and those lifts were built to last. So you'll have a lift in a block of 1930s that's probably been there for 60 years with very few issues, When in, whereas in a new building, uh, nothing's built to last, and there's far more issues. So actually, that was going to be my next question, which is, you know, what are the major differences you see from a new development to the more old traditional buildings 
and oh, how oh. you approach it and how they last and how they work. Yeah, I mean, older traditional pl- buildings, you know what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a fabric. What's going to go wrong? It might be that you have to do your cyclic decorations, your internal decorations, and you might have a board that, you know, is quite elderly because people have lived there forever. On a new building, a lot of new buildings, the leases last longer than the actual fabric of the building. So you might have only an 80-year guarantee on the fabric of your building, but your actual lease that's been granted is 125 years. Plus, you have much more complicated services such as communal heating, CHPs, and communal comfort cooling, all of which carry all sorts of different risks. If you haven't got breaks in your comfort cooling and one person doesn't service their um, air conditioning, then that fec- affects the quality of the, ro- the overall system as a whole and then can result in that system failing over time. And are you seeing that as more modern buildings are built, that you know all the systems are becoming internal to the flats rather than communal? No, the opposite. The opposite's happening. Yeah. And is there a bigger percentage of expenditure now with all these demands on 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 landlords from health and safety and and from technology without a doubt i mean without a doubt i mean you're looking at if you know traditionally you'd probably be about i don't know five six pounds a square foot if you had 24 hour concierge in a mansion block plus your reserve on a new build you could be looking at anything between nine and 13 to 14 pounds a square foot depending on the services and also the number of units. I mean, we've got buildings where we've only got very few units, but they've got 24-hour concierge. They've got um, a building manager, swimming pool, spa. Those are coming in at nearer 25 to £30 pounds a square foot. What are some of the um, really pressing issues that landlords are facing in the older buildings that they have to do versus... In the, old, in the older buildings, it's probably making it more energy efficient because they built, those buildings aren't, you know, built for energy. You don't have LED lighting, stuff like that. So you have to bring in processes like that to try and make those more energy efficient and also try and reduce your, your common parts where you've got, you know, drafty common parts and big ceilings where the heat's just going straight through the ceiling and nowhere else. You know, new buildings are far more cost effective when it comes to heat retention. If you go into a new building, you'll normally feel that there's heat in the common parts. If you go into an older building, you'll normally see a number of radiators which need to be switched on to keep the heat in the common parts. So do you feel that the efficiency together with all the new technological abilities of a new building balance out so that both cost percentage-wise, more or less the same to run, or it's still more expensive to run a modern building? I think it's still more expensive because with modern buildings, you have far more technology. Unfortunately, technology is constantly moving. So what might have been a state-of-the-art system that was put in three years ago is now no no longer a state-of-the-art. Or it could have been that something that had to tick the environmental box, so you had to put a geothermal plant in, well, you were used as that guinea pig, that geothermal's now failed and you haven't got a system to compare against. So you're suddenly faced with a a massive expense of having to replace that system. And presumably your your tradespeople have to be specialists, whereas you can't have a general person like you did in the olden days. So you've got a lot more people that you need to tap into. A hundred percent. I mean, in the olden days, you could get your 
porters, as they called them then, rather than concierge. They'd go up a ladder, they'd change a light bulb. You can't do that now because health and safety dictates they have to be ladder trained. They can say it's not within their duties because they're scared of heights. You know, so again, you're paying a lot more for a company to come in and change a light bulb than the old days where you could actually get one of the site staff to do it. And... If you had to say, so so the little that I know about building management mm -hmm. is that the actual cost of signing up to an agency is quite minimal per unit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the income comes from having to manage works. And I think, I mean, it's changed. It's horses for courses now. You know, if you want quality, I think people realise they have to pay a little bit more. You know, we had an, we've had an example recently where we took on a block and it was so labour intensive that when I actually sat down and worked out how much we, we were actually paying them to manage the block. So we had a meeting with the people and we set out, you know, what we were doing and, and we've literally, we've had to double the management fee. And I think people do realise, you, of course, you're still going to get the other people, the other side of the coin where everyone thinks you can do something for nothing. But it's whether or not you want the boxes ticked and you to be you to know as a resident and also maybe of a director of a manco that you can sleep easy at night because everything is compliant or you go the other way and go cheap and you know, it's that old story, isn't it? Pay peanuts, get monkeys. It's it is very much compliant driven, isn't it? All of it. So what I was what I was curious about is that a lot of times, you know, in the smaller buildings where people are very sensitive to the cash flow and they're not necessarily investment institutional investors or what have you, people are very sensitive and they they pay an amount per unit to have their their properties managed, but then they kind of are always on the defence when you say you've got to spend this money and you've got to spend that money because yeah. they feel that the managing agent is being motivated to actually encourage works yeah and is there a way that you give comfort to your clients to try and you know demonstrate that actually our interests are aligned we're here to help you we're not here to generate work just to you have feet. to be transparent but they also have to understand that if we tell them that they have to do something because it's a compliance issue it's not down to our discretion as to whether or not it gets done if you don't do it and we've said to you that you've got to do it then unfortunately if something goes wrong we can actually show an audit trail and that person will be then held liable so what would be your best advice uh, to our listeners right now who are listening to you uh, from both a leaseholder tenant's perspective and a freeholder's perspective. So if you're speaking to a leaseholder, what would be your best advice as to how they should engage with the management of their building and respond or feedback or... Communication is key. If you get that communication going then, it, you know, everything should be aligned. It's understanding. You know, what we find is if we give people a proper explanation as to why we have to do something and that's backed up with, you know, evidence, then people say, well, I understand now. I mean, we've got a case now where we're having to raise a substantial amount of money on an older building, but it hasn't been touched for like 30 years and it's now dilapidated and straight away, We've had a resident come back and said, you know, in 2000X, we went to the FTT. Well, that was 10 years ago. It's a completely different scenario now. You know, you've got windows that aren't compliant. You open those windows, a child can fall out. There's all those sorts of things that need to be done. Call a meeting, explain to them, go through what we've got and why we need to do it when we need to do it. But also, by doing it, 
their values will, once the work's done, their values will double overnight because their values are probably two-thirds of where it should be in that area because of the state of the building. So they, don't, they really need to understand that the more you look after your asset, the more you're going to maintain Correct. or enhance the value. It's like your car. You wouldn't drive your car and not service it, would you? So why do you think it's okay not to do that to a building? And what about uh, landlords? What, what resistance do you get from landlords and what would be your best advice to landlords? Most landlords, unless they have an underlying issue, i.e. they might have apartments in the building, which is why they're driving to keep the service charges low, most landlords want their buildings maintained properly because at some time, at some point, they'll either try and sell the building or the residents will try and enfranchise. And if it's a well-run building, they'll keep their values. And uh, before we say thank you, goodbye, and let you get on with your very busy day, um, if somebody, one of our listeners is listening to you and uh, they wanted to explore uh, what you could do for them, how do you differentiate yourself from other uh, residential managers? It's quite difficult. It's, I mean, management is very much about personalities and we take a view that buildings like people have personalities and it's not one size fits all. So we don't go in, you know, well, that building's there and it's in that area, so that should be priced at that. And it's also for us, it's understanding what the client wants and also matching someone within our organisation to the client's requirements and client's personality. And by doing that, that tends to build up relationships and you can see people working together and getting things done. Well, thank you very much for giving us this time. Thank you. And I know you need to run off, so uh, we will uh, uh, put you on our experts directory and any one of our listeners who need any help with their building management will be in touch with you directly to get some help. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you to Fiona for giving us an insight into the crazy world of property management. Uh, to find experts like Fiona and get assistance for any of your real estate problems, please head over to our experts directory where you can find a professional handpicked for you that you can engage with directly and ask your questions and get help. Thanks for listening to the London Property Podcast. Head over to londonproperty.co.uk and subscribe to our newsletter to receive latest updates.